0: Hey folks, my name is Ike Morgan, and we are Down in Alabama. Now, we're literally Down in Alabama, covering as much news as we can from Lookout Mountain to Mobile Bay, and Down in Alabama is also the name of our show. We spend about three to five minutes daily going over a handful of news and culture stories that are a mix of the top stories and maybe the most overlooked stories and sometimes just the most Alabama stories of the day. Now, there's not a strict definition of what the most Alabama stories of the day are, but you know them when you see them. So y'all come on by and give us a listen, and bring a sense of humor, because we take the news seriously, but not ourselves. The show is called Down in Alabama, and we're available wherever you listen to your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic it's just not working.
1: It's just not an ideal format for students to learn and for teachers to teach.
0: Today, we hear from Mary Grace Lyon and April Coleman, parents of children enrolled in the Tuscaloosa City School System and members of a Facebook group called Tuscaloosa for Education. The group's description says, quote, We believe it is in the best interest of our children to have face-to-face instruction This will be a place to discuss ideas and share important information on how best to accomplish our shared vision of giving our kids the opportunity to go back to in-person school. Tuscaloosa City Schools originally planned to hold all classes virtually the first nine weeks of the fall semester, but the system is now debating switching to in-person learning even sooner. WVUA 23 reports the school board will make a final decision on the matter this Tuesday, September 15th when members of the Tuscaloosa for Education group will appear at the Tuscaloosa City Schools office to express their concerns with virtual learning and their support of reopening for in-person classes immediately. I spoke to Mary Grace Lyon and April Coleman about why virtual learning isn't working for children at home, how the school board has responded to their concerns, how worried they are about their children potentially catching and spreading COVID-19 and what toll a lack of in-person schooling has taken on families.
2: My name is Mary Grace Lyon, and that's L-Y-O-N. I live in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I am a freelance writer, and I also largely stay home with our children.
0: What is... Tuscaloosa for Education. Can you tell me about that Facebook group and sort of what the mission of it is?
2: I know all of us in town, really on both sides, whether people are for virtual learning or in-person learning, obviously have a vested interest in the education of our kids. And we have felt like, my kind of core group of friends have felt like that. And I've also heard conversations, you know, just all around town, little pockets of people popping up who are just displeased because initially, I mean, really all summer, we were told your choice for your child. And so far that has not seemed to feel like a choice for those of us who want to be in person or want our children to be learning in person. But those who wanted virtual only, you know, are able to have that choice. And so as we've kind of watched the Tuscaloosa County school system and also, the private schools in town, like Holy Spirit, my neighbor's child, I think, is in first grade at Holy Spirit, and also other college towns like Auburn do in person learning and do it well. So far, with little incident, in my opinion, we just really felt like it was time to appeal to the board as a group and hopefully involve people from all of the districts because I have friends and other areas of town um, from where I live who are really struggling. And I just kind of felt like, and, you know, the other, you know, people who kind of helped start the group, I personally feel like, you know, our family with me being at home, you know, I'm more available to help my kids navigate this virtual school, you know, thing, <laughs> this, virtual schooling education that we're doing and you know my heart just goes out to my friends and neighbors who um have you know children who have IEPs or 504 plans or special needs whose needs are not being met there's also large pockets of kids in our system who are non-english speakers who I heard the other day of, of a little girl who doesn't speak english nor do her parents Trying to navigate kindergarten online. Hearing stories like that, having, you know, single mom friends who are trying to make ends meet who are forced to either leave their kids at home to do virtual school by themselves or, you know, risk having to choose between their job and their child's education. There are just a lot of, a lot of at-risk kids who even are already in danger of failing out or dropping out. Kids who are, you know, home stuck in abuse or neglect, who I just feel like the system is failing right now. And even with me being able to be home and help my kids navigate the system, it's been a really frustrating process. And so I, we just decided to try to help the parent to feel the same way that we do to kind of connect and share ideas and and even just organize so that we can be a united voice to the school board.
0: And so how many people are in this group? How representative of city school parents do you consider it?
2: Things are moving and happening so quickly. As of right the second, there's 383 members, and there are 194 member requests that I... <laughs> I'm hoping to get to sometime today. And so I would say, you know, 500 plus parents represented in a school system with 11,000 students. So many of those parents represent, you know, two, three or four of those students. So I would say it's in, in my opinion, a relatively large group of people who are just kind of tired of feeling like nothing is moving forward and expectations have not been met you know the news last tuesday night said that the board was set to vote on going to a staggered start sooner than the end of the nine weeks when we're scheduled to go back to in person and you know some parents went and spoke i watched it and then they just did not vote and so it's things like that that we just feel like people are you know just tired of sitting by and i think have lost a little bit of confidence that the promise that we were made of your choice for your
1: child is falling a little bit flat right now i am april coleman that's c-o-l-e-m-a-n and i'm an educator Um i have taught i taught for several years in the testless county school system formerly and I've been in higher education for the past eight years. I am a, a parent um, and an educator of 16 years. I do feel strongly about an in-person option for our students and our families who want to choose that route. You know, we fully understand that every family is different and their needs are different. Their students' learning needs are different. So we have a virtual learning option, a fully virtual option for parents who want to choose that route. And I totally support that. I support them having that choice. But I do feel that um, for a majority of our students, um, especially those in special education, my background is in special and gifted education, I have a PhD in um, special ed, I feel that their learning needs are such that they really need um, face-to-face instruction to be able to learn effectively. Um, They have academic needs, behavioral and social and even physical needs, and those needs just cannot adequately be met through a screen. Um, And I know that I've spoken people in our district to some leaders when they were proposing the plans and voiced some of those concerns and was told that there would be opportunity for those students to have some in-person instruction even during this fully virtual time. Um, But in speaking to uh, parents, to friends and acquaintances who have shared with me, um, those students are getting, you know, for example, a student with an IEP is only receiving two or two and a half hours of instruction two times a week. Um, Some of those small groups have been canceled. So when you look at, you know, compared to what they would be receiving in a fully face-to-face model, and, you know, considering the fact that they've been now about six months since the pandemic began away from an educational environment, you know, you're looking at major learning losses and social losses and um, behavioral issues that um, that really need to be addressed. So I'm very passionate about that population of students who have IEPs and 504 plans and, and even undiagnosed learning needs. And then I'm also passionate just for all of our students, for my own two girls included. I have a first and a fifth grader, um, that are great students and love school, but they're struggling, you know, too, just socially and emotionally. And I know that if my girls are struggling, my family has, um, resources. My husband and I both have flexible work schedules. My, um, background is in education. I know how to teach and I can fill in the gaps, you know, if they're not getting a concept fully. Um, we have the means to be able to pay um, for child care if we have a work meeting that conflicts with our girls' learning schedules. But so many of our families across the district don't have those um, resources and I worry about those kids. You know, I worry about the kids in um, situations that maybe the parents work full time or maybe that there is a single parent who is um, struggling to just maintain all of their normal responsibilities in addition to their child's learning and, um, you know, situations of abuse and neglect where, where children are not being cared for and typically the reporting parties on that are teachers in schools. And so we're at half of a year now, you know, that those, those students, they're, they haven't been seen and they haven't been checked on. And those things are very concerning to me as an educator.
0: So when did you and others maybe first begin to notice the issues with virtual learning? And what were some examples or what are some examples of how it doesn't really work for the kids? Mary Grace Lyon.
2: Well, there's obvious technology problems like today. I don't know if you're aware of the the entire system-wide failure that happened last night. Um, We all started receiving messages that the fiber optic cable at the central office had been damaged. And so students were not, elementary students were unable to log on this morning at 8 o'clock. I think as of right now, they have the issue resolved. But it's just things like that when, you know, we have to be dependent on technology. There are also households of children who are having to share devices. So, you know, if one sibling needs to do their homework, but one needs to be on their Google Meet and in their class link, those both can't happen simultaneously. So it really hurts students as far as having time to do their work. Um, There's also been issues for teachers not having enough time or ability to teach properly with the time constraints and the technology constraints. I'm in a little bit of a unique situation because I have an elementary school age child, a middle schooler, and a high schooler. So I'm seeing it from all different angles. Um, The high school students have 25 minutes In each class, which is, you know, for an AP level or an honors level class, that is vastly less time than they would have in an in-person environment. There's also been issues with students not submitting work properly or on time because of Wi-Fi issues, which is affecting grades. So teachers want um, work turned in a lot of times by 11.59 p.m. at night. And because sports are still happening, even with the cities, which that's another topic we can get to, um, a lot of kids, you know, finish, the high schoolers finish school at 3.45 p.m. So if you have any kind of sports practice or, you know, whatever, you have to actually be home on Wi-Fi to be able to do your homework and your work for the most part. So there have been several times where our Wi-Fi has been down at night because of where I live. It just goes in and out. My kids constantly get kicked on and off the Wi-Fi. A lot of times they lose their work. My fourth grader had to do an assignment four different times because she got kicked off the Wi-Fi. So um, when students aren't able to log on in the time that they have to do their homework because of Wi-Fi issues or other technological problems, they're not able to turn in their work by midnight that night and even if they work on it in the morning and turn it in by class time, like for a high schooler, that would be by one o'clock. A lot of teachers are not accepting it. Um, some are giving zeros. And so students, are ha- students who are normally, you know, very good students are even struggling um, in this environment. So um, it's also really been a nightmare for working parents. Um, as I kind of touched on earlier, child care costs trying to work from home and help with school, um, or worse, you know, having to leave kids alone to navigate it themselves. And so there's a lot of emotional and mental stress, worry, depression, anxiety, self-harm. The lack of social interaction um, is really also taking a toll, Um, not to mention the families that are not able to pick up meals. Um, There are kids in our system who a lot of times eat at school and that's their primarily, that's their primary opportunity to eat that day. And 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 I know that they are offering meals, but you've got to pick up meals and not everyone's able to do that. So um, I'm choosing to use my voice to speak on behalf of those who I feel like are voiceless in our community or without resources. And um, you know, a lot of those people have reached out and shared stories. A lot of them are uncomfortable talking to the school board because of the privacy of their children and what they're experiencing um so i just feel like i want to speak up for those who don't who maybe don't have parents coming behind them um making sure that they're doing their work and logging on and you know for those who are stuck at home maybe in abuse and neglect um like i said the non-english speakers those who are at risk for failing or dropping out. I just feel like those of us who are vested in the school system and really care about the education of all the kids in in the entire Tuscaloosa City Schools District, those of us who have a voice need to use it.
0: We'll be right back. And so what's happening on Tuesday? I understand that there is a planned demonstration. What's the plan? Mary Grace Lyon.
2: I feel like we, we really just want to feel heard. Um, I know there is a lot of anger and frustration with a lot of parents, but that's not really um, what we're about at this point. We just really want to reasonably appeal to the facts, the, emotion behind what families are really going through and how they're struggling and just hope that that the board will will hear those things and take those things into consideration moving forward. I do understand I'm not naive to the concerns that people have going back to um, in-person learning but um, I feel like they have the option to choose all virtual for their child if those are concerns that they have that outweigh the benefits of going back to school and so we're just asking for that same opportunity so we're just planning to uh, meet outside of the school board meeting and we would obviously welcome anyone who wants to to join our cause um, in a peaceful and <laughs> and I don't know the word but just in a in a reasonable and peaceful way um, and then we've also had people who want to speak from different schools and different districts. And so we've tried to help organize that and give them the information so that they can have a voice, um, for what, what they're going through. And honestly, it's a lot of parents who feel really desperate because either their kids emotional health, um, their kids education. I feel like in a way we're watching in real time as the gap between the have, you know, those who have, the resources to hire tutors or um, to have, you know, childcare for their kids during this time um, who are helping them if they're not able to, those who, you know, are involved in their kids' education. Um, I feel like we're kind of watching in real time as those who have support and resources are moving ahead and those who do not have the support and resources they need to be successful in a virtual environment are falling behind. And um, I just feel like we can't really be silent on behalf of all of those kids in our school system.
0: Well, you mentioned you want your voices heard. What's the response been like so far from Tuscaloosa City Schools? They've expressed a desire to maybe reopen sooner. Like you said, they were holding a vote to determine that sooner than the nine weeks that was initially planned But has there been a good dialogue between schools and parents?
2: Um, I don't feel like there's been really much dialogue at all between the schools and the parents as far as what's going on because I'm not really sure, um, how much they know. You know, I think all of it depends on the vote of the, of the school board. Dr. Daria can make you know recommendations and he can make presentations, but aside from a majority vote by the school board, um, things won't change. So I think the teachers and the principals and the faculty of the schools are, and in, in, I mean, just doing, going above and beyond to try to make the best of this from what I can tell for the most part. But as far as like the individual schools um, keeping us posted, it's really information you kind of have to find out on your own, which is part of what we're trying to do is just keep people informed.
0: And so how do you feel about the virus right now? What's your level of concern about your child catching it, bringing it home, others spreading it in the school? If they go back to in-person learning, there, there's obviously less risk or no risk in many cases when children are at home and that definitely increases once they go to school in person. So what is your level of concern related to the virus itself? April Coleman.
1: I certainly believe the virus is real. Um, We know people who have been affected by it. We have um, friends who have had family members, elderly family members who have had coexisting conditions, but who have passed away from the virus. It's very real. But I also have really um, looked into the research on the, pediatric population and the youth population and so what the research is telling us from here in the United States um, for example from the child care workers the child care for essential workers that have been open since the beginning of the pandemic in March um, and from schools that have reopened um, and internationally from other countries whose schools either never closed their doors or who did safely reopen in person The data overwhelmingly is telling us that um, when children do incur um, illness, it's very mild. Many of the cases are even asymptomatic. They recover quickly um, if they do show symptoms at all. And largely in those situations here in the U.S. and abroad, it hasn't contributed to the community spread. And so I really, you know, I think it's important that we look at how this virus is affecting our pediatric population. And I know we have some teachers who were um, who are worried or um, perhaps who were in in populations that they have other health needs um, or older and absolutely we should provide them with safe alternatives and I think our district has done that um, through the virtual teaching option um, or they could take a year's leave of absence perhaps but um, overwhelmingly I think the data supports being in person for instruction um, the AAP um, Academy of Pediatrics that's their recommendation is that schools Go back in person to meet student social, emotional, and mental needs, um, as is the CDC's recommendation. So I think we should follow um, what the experts are saying, as well as what the data from science is saying on this population.
0: We've heard it for months now, but more than six months into the pandemic, we're hearing more and more about the stress that this has put on families particularly parents attempting to cope and juggle school, work, and everything else. What's it been like for you and your family? And what are you hearing from others in your group and elsewhere?
1: Yes, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, so during this pandemic, I have actually worked both full-time and part-time. I've accepted a new job in June. And my husband works full-time. He owns his own business. Um, So as I share, we're very fortunate. Um, We feel very fortunate to have flexible work schedules. But it's been incredibly stressful (laughs) trying to be at home. um, I'm working fully remotely right now. Um, My husband works partially remotely and he has to go into work um, at different times and leave the home. Um, But just trying to juggle our responsibilities and continuing to provide for our families' financial needs um, through our jobs, as well as monitor our student, our children's learning and, um, you know, just interaction, interacting with them and giving them the attention that um, that they're not necessarily getting from being able to to meet, you know, in large groups right now and um, as they would be in school. It's been very incredibly challenging. You know, my children are well-adjusted. <laughs> They've got every opportunity in the world, but even then I've seen know I've seen emotional and behavioral issues out of them that are not typical especially with my older daughter who is in fifth grade. Um, I've seen her anxiety really increase over the last few months and um, that worries me. It worries me as a parent um, and it worries me especially not for my kids um, but for other kids who I know are in situations that, that don't have the same resources.
0: what about the children? Like, why do you think face-to-face instruction is so important to them developmentally right now? And what long-term impact do you fear if they stay at home the longer this continues?
1: Well, our entire system of teaching and learning largely is built on what we call in education social constructivism. So socially constructing learning with our teachers and with our peers and it's very challenging to replicate that in a, um, in a virtual setting, especially for elementary learners. You know, high school students do a little better with it, but for elementary, elementary learners, it's almost impossible um, unless they have a parent who can sit down full time next to them at the computer and then, you know, fill in the gaps and do some of their own teaching um, above and beyond what's being shared virtually. And, you know, as I shared before, all of our students have unique learning needs, but especially for our large population with diagnosed special needs um you know you asked me to share stories of my own and from you know other people that I've known my parents my friends of um kids with special needs are just really struggling right now this is taking a huge toll on their children they're not learning um their learning has been hindered um they've gone backwards many of them academically and socially and um It's just not working. (laughs) It's just not an ideal format um, for for students to learn and for teachers to teach. Um, Something I keep saying through all of this is that I don't want anyone to misperceive our efforts as being an attack on teachers. I think our teachers are doing an amazing job, and our our principal and our other school leaders, um, they're doing the best they can within the given format. It's just a virtual format that's the issue because it doesn't really allow for that relationship part of learning that we know is so important um, to take place.
0: If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.